don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, Crypto Economy crew? Welcome back to the podcast. I've got another quick read for today, um, and this one is by Ryan Radloff. We've not read anything by him on the podcast yet, um, and it's posted on the CoinShares blog. That's one of the it's a medium publication. They have kind of like monthly, um, like roundups. They have like a crypto report um, style post pretty regularly, and uh, and cover a number of different topics about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and that kind of thing. Uh, And this one is specifically, if you did not see it, um, I kind of skimmed over it quite a bit and it made its round in the tweets for a bit there. The ING International Survey that was done back in June, and it had specifically a pretty large sample size. um, And uh, as an international survey, it um, surveyed a number of different countries um, and there were another um, group of surveys that we have seen come out this year. And this article uh, by Ryan kind of goes into it more in depth and kind of looks at the um, kind of a big picture view of these different demographics and what uh, the near to midterm future might look like in Bitcoin and crypto and the crypto economy. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the article. And again, by Ryan Radloff, and it is titled, Half of the Remaining Non-Minted Bitcoin Supply is, quote, Spoken For. Times, they are a-changin'. Who in the world owns this stuff, and who will? These are the second and third most common questions I get from legacy investors searching for mental models to project value based on future user base. What they are really, rightly, grasping for is potential future demand based on the classic concept of total addressable market, TAM. Just a few years back, data was scarce. Population surveys were rare, and the small crypto population meant that necessary sample sizes were prohibitive to conduct. But in the immortal words of Bob Dylan, times, they are a-changin'. This year alone, we've had multiple studies charting crypto knowledge, interest, and penetration across Western populations. Three recent ones. ING International Survey. Sample size, 14,828. Point. 66% of Europeans, 57% of Americans, and 70% of Australians have heard of cryptocurrency. Point. 25% of Europeans, 21% of Americans, and 15% of Australians expect to own cryptocurrency in the future. Point. 9% of Europeans, 8% of Americans, and 7% of Australians currently own some cryptocurrency. Global Blockchain Business Council Survey. Sample size 5,761. Six out of 10 Americans have heard of Bitcoin. Note, 
This is more than twice that of a similar survey conducted in 2013. Bank of Canada survey. Sample size, 1,997. Roughly two-thirds of Canadians have heard of Bitcoin. Less than 3% of Canadians own any Bitcoin. The ING survey caught my eye in particular because the results of expected future ownership can, for the first time I remember, allow me to begin building a data-driven base from which I can answer at least a component of the total addressable market question. At least 99 million people intend to own crypto, but don't yet. If you multiply the percentage difference between consumers that own cryptocurrency and those that expect to with the populations of the respective regions, you can get an idea of the number of additional people likely to demand cryptocurrencies in the future. World Bank population statistics for respective regions, roughly 692 million. Population of people who expect to own crypto in the future, roughly 157 million. Those who already report owning crypto, roughly 58 million. This number comes out to be roughly 99 million people across the US, Australia, and Euro area who intend to own crypto, yet do not already. Holding at current prices, $6,500, if 99 million consumers want to hold as little as 100 pounds in Bitcoin, that amounts to an increased demand of roughly 1.9 million Bitcoins. Said differently, these demand numbers indicate that almost half of the remaining non-minted Bitcoin supply is, quote, spoken for. This is a conservative model built on simple assumptions, above, backed by real survey data. It's a starting point, and a much more informed starting point than we have had to date. Back to Dylan. Times, they are a-changin'. So why doesn't price reflect this future demand? As of today, the 17th of August, 2018, Bitcoin is trading around the $6,500 mark. Prices are down 52% year-to-date and 68% from the highs reached in December of 2017. Meanwhile, the value proposition of this revolutionary asset has not changed. If anything, new scaling developments such as the Lightning Network, market maturation, regulatory clarity, and increased consumer awareness only enforce the previous value proposition. But as the market slumps, surely many prospective investors are asking themselves why they should buy now. Most often I hear this phrased as, why not risk it and wait for lower prices? My take? Entry point timing is a dangerous game to play. One of my partners, Meltem Demirers, did a hell of a job covering this point on CNBC using classic dot-com analogs. Link to the video. A couple of anecdotes regarding timing if videos aren't your thing. 1. Amazon took 9 years to recover its 2000 peak price, $106. Now, at $1,870. 2. Microsoft took even longer, 17 years to recover its peak, 
of $58, now at $107. If you bought after the pullback in 2000, there were some great values to be had. So why did companies, which are so clearly viable with the luxury of hindsight, take such a long time to reclaim their high valuations from 2000? One explanation? It took a while to reframe the narrative. Said differently, quote, When you come down from great heights, the growth story is harder to see, and most people then and now are investing in the future growth story. End quote. These investments involve suspending disbelief and acknowledging that paradigm-shifting business models come with new metrics that only time can vet and uncover. Note, suspending disbelief is harder in a bear market, albeit this is, ironically, where most of the valuable building gets done. Which leads me to where Bitcoin is now. Fallen from great heights, the 2017 growth story became overhyped. Perhaps now, as with 2014, it's time for a new narrative? Sidebar. Nick Carter and team put together a great piece on Bitcoin's shifting narratives. Well worth the read. Begin tweet. The latest from Hassafly and myself, Visions of Bitcoin. End tweet. Those narratives matter because they drive motivation and interest in the ecosystem, which attracts users and talent, who in turn strengthen the ecosystem, improve on the open source software, and build easier points of access to the digital asset. Quote, This influx of talent, time, and money leads to one new adoption and two new liquidity. Et voila, network effects are a beautiful thing. End quote. Have some of these narratives proven inaccurate? Inevitably. Will many still come true? Maybe. We will address this in a different future post. The point here is that each narrative attracts more people for different reasons into the space. The net influx of talent increases the value of the system while improving access to those still on the sidelines and the cycle self-reinforces. With each new wave of large user influx, we see a run in price. This is usually followed by another wave of new access points, and the cycle repeats, each time with greater magnitude enabled by newly increased investor access. The current narrative of institutions cometh has been driving a similar cycle, but let us be clear. In our opinion, quote, each Bitcoin speculation hype cycle since inception in 2009 to date has been driven by retail buyers, end quote. Meanwhile, much of the current talk in the Bitcoin space is revolving around the perceived incoming flood of institutional money. We believe this to be slightly off the mark. It's simply the latest narrative that is attracting people to the Mad Max rally through the desert that is Bitcoin. So what's our issue? We agree that institutional interest will help drive the next bull run, but perhaps not for the same reasons as everyone else. We believe the institutions will drive new layers of access and bring a bit more liquidity, no doubt. But the reason they will help drive the next run is consistent with every growth cycle that came before. New attraction, 
from new masses will drive new demand, and this increasing demand will be filled through access points created on the back of the last cycle. The more people who want to play in the proverbial sandbox, the larger the sandbox needs to be and the more sand you need. The sandbox is made bigger by every market cycle, meaning more people can play when the next cycle begins. Allow me to expand. Quote, With institutions, consumers can now gain exposure through established brands that they already know and generally trust. End quote. Over the past two years, no doubt we have observed a slow growth of institutional interest and participation in the space. This has led to a significant increase in trust, as consumers can access crypto through counterparties they perceive as safe and familiar. And access, as institutions are given the tools to integrate with cryptocurrencies, they in turn render access to their clients. Sure, consumers have been able to buy outright from exchanges for a while, but each exchange is new, often with a different setup and unfamiliar owners, and you have to move money into them. Even with the best user experience, it's a bit painful. When institutions gain more access, they in turn create more access points for retail investors who are uncomfortable leaving their traditional financial surroundings or have capital quote, locked up in the legacy financial system. We have seen the first few steps of this process already. 1. Fidelity integration with Coinbase last year as an early step to Bitcoin in brokerage accounts. 2. Bitcoin ETPs as a next step in democratizing access to retail. 3. Coming soon. Fully deliverable Bitcoin futures after that. See ICE and backed. And four, next up, the ability to buy Bitcoin via legacy brokers held alongside the rest of a legacy portfolio. While institutional access is great, we suspect retail demand will continue driving the market in the midterm, albeit through bigger, quote, institutional-sized plumbing. In other words, it's just increasing access that is the good news. Quote, if you're waiting for financial institutions to lead the way before you take the plunge into Bitcoin, don't be surprised if retail clients beat both of you to it. Don't take our word for it. We've got data, too. CoinMarketCap has identified 209 regulated and unregulated cryptocurrency exchanges opened between July 2010 and August 2018. Quarterly growth rates in Bitcoin market cap and number of exchanges shows a 72% correlation. While this correlation does not prove causality, it highlights that access points and market value are undoubtedly linked, at least from a historic perspective. As shown in the chart below, the previous three Bitcoin bull runs of 2011, 2014, and 2017 have led to ever larger numbers of new exchanges or access points opening, presumably in response to individuals looking to directly purchase cryptocurrencies. However, there is a distinct difference between previous bull runs and 2017. The 2017 bull run 
did indeed catch the interest of institutional players who are now increasingly recognizing Bitcoin's value proposition and are responding to their customers' demand for access to crypto assets. As such, the following major banks have started offering access to Bitcoin products for their clients over the last two years. Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, Credit Suisse, Citibank, UBS, and Merrill Lynch. Additionally, all of the above, in the screenshot, a total of 22, offer access to Bitcoin investment vehicles of some type. As an evolution of this trend, organizations like the ICE NYSE Group, in collaboration with BCG, Microsoft, Starbucks, and others, are now progressing to offer direct physical access to Bitcoin through BACT. They have stated their intention to create an, quote, open and regulated global ecosystem for digital assets, end quote. This is interesting for two reasons. One, part of the offering includes physically settled Bitcoin futures, which unlike the financially settled CME and CBOE futures, will require the delivery of actual Bitcoin on expiry. Subject to CFTC approval, these futures will launch in November of 2018. And two, BACT aims to help players spend digital assets through the development of merchant and consumer applications. We assume that Starbucks will spearhead this effort, which, if successful, will further drive Bitcoin awareness through increased points of sale accepting Bitcoin. If you remember nothing, remember this. 1. Cryptocurrency awareness keeps rising, with hundreds of millions of people now having heard of cryptocurrencies. 2. 99 million people in Western economies alone are estimated to be seeking exposure to cryptocurrencies. If these consumers were to put 100 pounds into Bitcoin at current prices, that equates to demand for 1.9 million Bitcoins, more than 10% of minted supply. 3. Major established financial institutions are already providing institutional-grade access to Bitcoin products to millions of clients across the world. 4. In every previous Bitcoin bull cycle, increased access points that were created in the preceding build cycle added to the convenience and capacity for new capital to enter the market. I believe we are seeing this cycle repeat and yet again in larger magnitude. And 5. Trying to beat the timing game is risky business. Waiting for institutional money to lead the charge might leave you behind while the retail train leaves the station. Much credit to Christopher Bendixson and other members of the CoinShares team for the contributions, edits, and comments. Getting this right is always a team effort. And then he's got a, a rather lengthy disclaimer of that this is not a... Uh, CoinShares opinion, this is not financial uh, advice, all that good stuff, but it's rather long, so I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> um, if you would like to read his disclaimer, um, uh, uh, feel free to check it out. Obviously, I will have the link um, to the CoinShares blog as well as this post specifically uh, in both the Twitter notes and the show notes. But I thought that was just a, uh, 
a really fun kind of little discussion about where the demographics are. And I like the perspective that I think we'll still see, or that he thinks we'll still see a retail-led bull run when the uh, the next growth cycle does, in fact, get here. Um, and, you know, he might not be wrong. Um, it could be a very long time before, because the, the volatility and uh, risk of holding still such a experimental asset outside of, like, very minor allocations to a... Um, uh, to Bitcoin, maybe just as a hedge, um, particularly in rough political environments. Um, outside of that, uh, it's it's very possible that they avoid the direct um, investment altogether and take the more predictable um, or measurable, um, you know, sell the shovels route um, for the uh, gold rush analogy, rather than stacking up on all the gold. Uh, they will, you know, sell the carts, the sifters, the shovels, uh, so on and so forth. And, you know, that's what a lot of these institutions do. Like, they they run exchanges. They don't stock up on Apple stock. They build an exchange that sells Apple stock to retail investors. Um, so we may actually see, they may have a really good point in this article that is not necessarily that the institutional investors will come screaming, running to hold as much Bitcoin as they can, but they may very well run to in a race to expose all of their customer base to crypto asset investment um, liquidity and uh, uh, new avenues um, to uh, get into the market. So uh, that was just a just a fun little read, and I thought that was uh, kind of cool, and um, thought y'all might like to hear it. So uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and close this one out for the day. Um, not much else to add to that one. I thought it was a pretty cool article. And um, don't forget to check out Ryan Radloff. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. I will tag him in the post. And uh, also check out the CoinShares blog. That is just at medium.com slash CoinShares, all one word. And uh, 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 drop some applause on this article if you enjoyed it like I did. And check out the other work they got going on. So... All right, don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Twitter, Mastodon. Uh, you can find that link in my Twitter uh, page, main page, and um, and also Medium. Uh, check out the uh, recent article if you haven't listened to the episode from yesterday um, uh, about the Panama Canal and Bitcoin's Lightning Network. And uh, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, leave me a review if you would like. Um, uh, it's a huge help, and I really appreciate it. And share the podcast with all of your friends in the crypto space um, so that they, too, can hear all the cool stuff going on in the crypto economy. And if you would like to support the show, uh, I will be your best friend forever, and uh, <laughs> I will have my uh, Bitcoin address available uh, so that you can send me some donations if you'd like. Um, and also... Uh, you can purchase your Trezor. I have an affiliate link. Uh, it won't cost you a dime, but it will throw a couple of bucks my direction uh, when you get your awesome Trezor hardware wallet to secure all your Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. All right, guys, I will catch you tomorrow for another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, everybody.